you know, in the final analysis, I'd like to be just seen as someone who's just real. You're listening to the Jack Wagon Podcast. Oh, good for you. Featuring Chad Roper and Drew Cobb from Cool 94's Rope and Drew in the Morning. You've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. You know, morons. Oh. <laughs> this podcast is unsuitable for small children and girly soy boys. They whine about anything. You pull down their pants and you spank their ass. What is these animals? Give them the ones that eat snakes, son. Let's get it all! Welcome to the Jack Wagon Podcast. Hey, it's Jack Wagon Podcast number 12. I'm Chad Roper. I'm Drew Cobb. I'm Andy Taylor. Yeah, you are. That's right. Hey, thank you so much for being here. First, before I get my mouth full of red men. You gave Drew and I a couple of books. Drew, here, take that. So all tell right, us about these here? books here. Well, uh, the first book, uh, Reading Your Bible for All It's Worth, uh, I wrote that book a year and a half ago. It was uh, published about a year and a half ago. And then the new book, uh, The Best Kept Secrets in the Kingdom, just a couple of months out now. now you're a pretty busy fellow. I mean, I, you know, of course, you're every week you're prepping for your service over at Trinity Fellowship in Sayre. And I know that you periodically have a blog that you do. I had no idea that you were writing books also. I mean, you're a really driven guy, and you have a lot to say about a lot of different things. What compels you to stay that busy like uh, well, this? You know, uh, I, I found, just to address the write, writing thing first, is I found, you know, I've always liked to write, and I felt like I had a little bit of a gift to do it. And uh, just kind of put up, put it off and put it off and put it off for a long time. So I started writing a newspaper article. I think uh, this week will be the about the 760, 70th one. They used to do them here with Elk City Daily News until they sold. And then uh, Derek Manning with his paper, the Elk City, and did that. Then they sold. And then uh, so I've been the Cheyenne newspaper, Cheyenne Star still publishes those so I, I did that because i knew i was going to be writing books later and so i and then i blogged i've probably written i had been kind of taking a little break from it the last year or so mm-hmm. but uh, i did all that to help me to communicate better so i think it helped i think i'm a better communicator a lot better than i was a few years ago and hope to get hope to get better why do you think that you weren't a very good communicator before? Or do you think, uh, no, do you believe that you always have been? I mean, but you just... there's one thing with verbal communication. I think I'm, I'm fair at that. And, mm-hmm. but, uh, writing is a whole different, it's an altogether different medium. And, uh, again, I just kind of felt like that's one of the things the Lord had called me to do uh, mm-hmm. early on. So anyway, that's, that's kind of, kind of how I ended up at least here, and I think I have a lot more books in me, you know. That's a great point that you make about writing versus Uh talking, Mm -hmm. because talking, there's always these occasions where you get into an argument with somebody, or you just say something that you wish you wouldn't have said, or what's even worse for me, you wish you would have said something that you didn't say. When you're writing, it's like time stops, and you can say exactly what you want to say, when you want to say it, how you want to say it. You can beef up your vocabulary. You can put that thesaurus to use alongside your bible exactly but also it's a commitment yeah you know what i mean because when you when you go publish a book you know you're kind of you kind of throwing your yep your nads out there on the chopping block going okay this is exactly what i think and what i meant to say so 
Yeah. So the last uh, uh, on the on the new book, the best kept secrets in the kingdom. I uh, I didn't take any time off during the COVID thing. Now, we didn't have services for two months. We just did the online services, and mm-hmm. so I never took a day off. I mean, uh, only because I didn't want to. So I kind of used that time to work on that book. I didn't get in a big hurry on it. In fact, the book was probably finished in uh, probably May. And how long uh, did it take you to write it? Um, everybody asked me that. I probably started on it back uh, in November, something like that. But I didn't write every day on it. In fact. Mm-hmm. The interesting part of it is, is that uh, I, I guess I've kind of learned how to, you know, th- to do this kind of on my feet along the way. But I didn't take any time off to do it. Uh, I never closed my office doors and isolated myself. I, you know, wrote this book with uh, phone calls and uh, interruptions and emergencies in my business. You know, we get uh-huh. a lot of those kind of things, unexpected mm-hmm. stuff. So it was just all written that way. I just kind of did a when I started. I did a. a kind of a brain dump of everything I thought would need to be included in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just made a list of those things. And when I'd sit down to write, which I tried to write some, something every day. And so when I'd sit down to write, I'd look down that list and I said, well, that feels good for today. So that's kind of how I did it. I don't know if anybody else does that or I didn't learn that. That's just kind of like eat until you're full. Yeah. Yeah. When did the writing thing happen or has it always been something that you're like, I just, I just like to write. I do like to write. It's it's been there a long time. So I don't know. You'd have to do the do the math for me. So, uh, dude, I'm a musician. I can count to sixteen. Otherwise, I'm not. It's not going to work out. Seven hundred and fifty or seven hundred seventy newspaper articles divided by fifty two weeks. So that's what. Wow. So you know that's so that's some years (laughs) more than one a week. It's like that's some years. So yeah, we're talking about almost eleven. Is that eleven years? Yeah. Well, I'm not. not, You said you're better at math than me, so I'm guessing. Fortunately, none of us are in math, and we don't have to worry about that. That's right. right. We do radio. So uh, 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 that's been going on a long time, and the Mm -hmm. the just the knowing that I need to write. I mean, uh, you know, er, other people have to decide it. I I think I have something to offer, and I think uh, the Lord's given me a an ability to make complex things really simple. So I I think that's the gift that I have. I've I've always. enjoyed that about you thank you you know because the world is is full of complexities it is as complex as society makes it right now i think society is just about as complex as it can be but you have a very gentle way of taking it in and then you translate it and then it just kind of comes out i've always enjoyed that about you i appreciate how how old are you 67 where are you from Uh, i grew up in a big city of allison texas The big city. Yeah, the big city. The teeming Mecca. Yeah, I was in the biggest graduating class ever graduated, Allison, Texas. Yeah. 15. Wow. I was well, in the top 15 in my class. Uh, attaboy. <laughs> Accolades. Decorated. <laughs> Way to go. Is that, is that where the Allison transmission comes from? No. No? no. That's a guy named no, Allison. No, there's not much in Allison, Texas. No, it's I knew just, that. I, there's some oil There's some oil wells there's over there. There's a blacktop yeah, over lots there. Of that. Isn't there. Isn't there a there's, blacktop? There's a blacktop, yep. <laughs> yep. No blinking light, no stop sign through town. College? So, Did you go to college after high school? Went a year to uh, Eastern New Mexico University out of Portales, right out of high school on a rodeo scholarship. And then I went, uh, laid out for a few years, decided I was going to go back and get a business degree and go to law school. And I went back to Weatherford on a, a Southwestern on a, another rodeo scholarship and uh, went to summer school so I could, uh, you know, rodeo uh, in, in the fall. Did that, went to uh, the fall, made the dean's honor roll. I was really committed to it. Springtime come around, come around. I went to all the big winter professional rodeos, uh, RCA then before the PRC Act, 
at PRCA actually. And I won a bunch of money one week about uh, the end of uh, February, 1st of March. Never went back to another class. And I told somebody, I'd, if it, if I'd have broke my leg that week, I'd probably be a lawyer today. <laughs> i tell you what, for a so, cowboy, you look good at 67 years old. You didn't yeah, hobble yeah. in here too you, bad at well, all. Well, you didn't see me get out of the car. About the first 10 <laughs> steps were a little, little out. So what was your main game when you were running? I rode bulls. You were a bull yeah, Now, rider. remember, that's 40 years ago and at least that many pounds ago, too. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, what? okay, I've... I'm always fascinated by this every time I meet someone that used to or does get up in the morning and go, you know what? I'm going to ride a goddamn bull today because that sounds fun. What's the matter with you? Yeah, money makes, in it. Yeah. Man. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense at all. It was kind of a generational thing for us. Me and my brother, my dad did it before. Uh, you know, oh, okay. And then we, we started out in junior rodeos when we were just kids. I was eight. My little brother was five going to junior rodeos, which is, you know, this is rodeo, you know, central of, you know, it's rodeo region uh yeah. texas new mexico arizona oklahoma kansas you did, know. did you ever rodeo full-time oh yeah, yeah oh wow yeah. how long and did you keep that that's up? how you uh, end up I, winning that money right yeah, yeah. i rodeoed full-time in, 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 in the pros i i got my prca card in 19 the fall of 1972 and then uh my how last, old were you i uh, was well let's see i'd been 19 then uh, 18 oh, wow. 18 about to turn 19 and then uh quit in 1981 and some of those years i rodeoed real hard 79 80 and 81 especially hard and then uh some of those years not so much like 76 when i was going to go back to college i didn't mm-hmm. pro rodeo that much then so tell us wow. about your greatest ride ever yeah. the one that yeah. when you lay down at yeah. night and you think about your rodeo career yeah you remember that ride well uh that, that's that's a real good question now probably the ride that most people will remember the best now i think i made better bull rides uh, through the years but the one that uh, everybody remembers it's in the record books there was a bull called v61 uh-huh. owned by billy minnick and he's probably regarded as the the rankest that's a term uh, rodeo people he's the rankest bucking bull of all time so he rank to, meaning just he was just mean as hell yeah. so beyond yeah, okay, bodacious okay. beyond yeah. astro beyond all that yeah. yeah and he was out uh i believe 995 times ridden five times and i was one of the five wow. that rode him. and that was in wow. fort smith arkansas in 1974 i believe you're more likely wow. to become the president of the united states than ride that bull yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the yeah. truth man yeah. no pun intended so so you rode for a long time and you won aren't you in the record book or you know well, you're in the hall of fame we're in the, the texas rodeo hall yes. of fame my brother and i were inducted in 2000 your brother also uh-huh. yeah on wow uh-huh. was He's, he uh was he also a bull rider yes yep so you guys had the competition thing going. Yeah, was there yeah. a little bit yeah. of rivalry? Uh, not not so much, not so much sibling rivalry, but mm-hmm. you know, we always wanted one another to do good and so there's wasn't that kind of, you know, a healthy competition, yeah. It's kind of like when you know when you get in an argument. I don't know if you watch basketball at all. You know how uh, Charles Barkley and Shaq always go yes. at each other, yeah. and then when Charles Barkley says something that Shaq doesn't agree with, he says, "I got f- three rings, Chuck. Four rings, Chuck. Yeah, exactly. Four rings." And you could say, yeah. "Did you did you ride V sixty one? Yeah. Uh, no, right. you didn't. I did. Right. Therefore, you're wrong. So so you rode and you said you quit in eighty nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Okay. Now why? Was it just because you were well, sore all the time, or was there an injury? No. Uh, Julie and I got married in uh, 1977, and uh, Clint, our oldest, uh, was born. We, we got married on January 7th, 1977. He was born on January 1st, 1978. And so those uh, 79, 80, and 81, uh, it was a lot less attractive to be gone away from home. And like when sure. I, when we'd leave, we, we, could, we might be gone a month at a time. Mm-hmm. And 
sometimes as much as, as we could, I would take them with me, but it just wasn't feasible a lot of the time. So it's kind of tough. It got to, uh, in the, I decided that 81 was going to be the, the end of it because I wasn't, I tell the stories that when I'd get ready to leave, uh, there's all kind of bawling and squalling and sometimes they'd be crying too. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was hard on me. And so it was, it was time. Now, am I stereotyping by presuming that since you were living life on the road, you're a bull rider, you were a hellraiser, weren't you? At one time, yeah, I guess you could you could say that that's BC before Christ, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, I've heard that, but why? Why? What would quantify you as that type of fella? Well, it's just it's, that's part of that whole culture. I don't particularly, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not particularly proud of that part of my life, but that's just it's a it's a part of that culture. It's and just it's just it's you, just being real. It, it is. Yeah, you're just a, yeah. you're just a real fellow who did real things yeah. that probably weren't real awesome. Right. <laughs> I think and you I know, think you're just like the rest of us, and I think that's why yeah. that's I think that's why I respect you so much. Because I, I don't think you really make bones about. Listen, man, I I did some crazy stuff way back when, and yeah. hey, that that tends to shape you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so you can go one of two directions. You can be a guy who periodically wears an orange jumpsuit and some silver chains and jewelry, or you can be a guy who, for instance, ends up being the head of a church. Yeah. It's a pretty cool deal. And wear silver chains and jewelry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> What's that? Who's, who's that one pastor? Mo Dollar? Or t- what is his name? Ty Cre- Dollar? Creflo. Creflo Dollar. Creflo probably. Dollar? Creflo <laughs> I so, need a jet. Give me your money. I need a jet. All right. So. When did you get to a place where you're like, you know what? I think not only do I want to develop this relationship with my maker, but mm-hmm. I think I want to be at the front of the church. When did that happen? Yeah, well, it, it's that's it's a that's a, a long uh, story, but um, I got saved in 1974. Uh, well, we didn't grow up in church. By the time I was 30. I might've been in a church 15 times counting funerals and everything. So we lived out on the ranch and, and, uh, we, uh, raised cattle, ranch horses and that kind of thing. And, uh, I make a joke about it. Uh, but, uh, every year, uh, we're too, we're too busy to go to church, you know? So that's, that's how we thought anyway. And so, uh, every year, uh, my dad, uh, would give the preacher in town, uh, half a beef or a whole beef and i thought heck we're good with god (laughs) (laughs) he likes beef well why is it why (laughs) would you not be you know i mean you're so i don't picture my jesus as a vegan come on yeah so so that's about that's about as deep as our i was a believer but that was about as deep as our spiritual life really went at the time and i Mm -hmm. tell when i tell that story i said it's it's really kind of amazing because god really did honor that so uh so during those rodeo years i had what i would call uh, from 74 to 84, I would, I, I would call it a disposable relationship with the Lord. When I'd get in a jam in my life, I'd run to the Lord. When I, that circ, those circumstances were over, I'd go back to my own way. I didn't have any kind of relationship with the Lord at all, really. Oh, didn't so have any you were kind of like a twice-a-year Christian, right? Where, if, like, you if, go to church on if Christmas that much, and yeah. Easter, you know, something like that? I don't know if I even went to church uh, chad really but but i would have those times when i'd be either worried or something going on that i'd you know call on the lord but I, like i said yeah. i've always been a believer but never really uh never really had developed any kind of relationship with the lord so fast forward uh in uh when uh when i stopped rodeo in 1981 i left a world where whether it's true or not that you think you're somebody and you get back into the real world where no, nobody really cares 
So you could call it a, you could call it an identity crisis or whatever. But I look back now, I didn't have anything to reference it at the time, but I can look back now and see that it was, it was the Lord dealing with me. So, uh, so in, uh, 1984, uh, Julie and I were split up. There's no way our marriage was ever going to make it. We had two little boys at the time, and uh, I'll cut out some of the grisly details because uh, my grandkids think I'm the greatest guy in the world. So well, we don't want to jeopardize you understand. that. And uh, but um, I sat down on. We're split up. Uh, no way it's going to work. I sat down on the edge of my bed on November the 17th, which be next Tuesday, November the 17th, 1984, with no hope. Um, I drove, I drove, I drove back home from Oklahoma city, dropped a friend off here in Elk city, went on the 60 miles on home. And I cried as hard as a man can cry uh, all the way home. And, uh, I got home, went in the bathroom, flipped the light on and looked at myself in the mirror and I hated everything about me. And I saw myself, even though we didn't grow up going to church, I had the best parents anybody could ever hope for. And I saw myself turning into something that I knew, I knew better. I knew better than I'd been raised better than that. And so I'm still crying. And uh, I went in, sat on the edge of the bed and prayed this prayer word for word. God, if you're out there, you got to help me. And that was the turning point in my life. And I didn't see angels. I didn't hear church bells ring. But the next day I got up and my life was started to be different. And, and addiction thing was over with overnight. Uh, but my other uh, thousand problems were not over with overnight. When I tell the story, I, I make sure to tell the part that as grateful as I am to the Lord, and I knew the Lord fixed that thing. As grateful as I am was am, am to God for fixing that, I'm more grateful to Him for not fixing everything else overnight. Because I think it would have been just like it had been the ten years prior to that. Just run to the Lord when I was in trouble and go back to my own way again. But I was in such a messed up place in my marriage, I was in my finances, everything that. Uh, I didn't know anything about walking by faith. I knew nothing about trusting God. I didn't even know that to have a relationship with the Lord was anything you should or could do. I was just in such a desperate place. I can remember waking up before daylight because I couldn't sleep and uh, just by myself there, uh, 30 miles from Canadian, Texas, out in the middle of nowhere. I'd go down to the barn uh, before the sun came up on my knees on the concrete and beg God to help me make it through the day. Make it through a day, made it through a week, made it make it through a month, and what I didn't what I didn't know was happening was there was a relationship building between me and the Lord, the Father, and so that's that's kind of how my life turned around. Now, the, back to the original question that you asked, you said when did you, you know, when did it, when did you when did it come to you that you should be you know preaching or something like that? Well, mm-hmm. so it was an it was, so Julie and I got together not too long got back together not too long after that that year we got back together was might've been one, it was one of our hardest years we ever had, but we, we made it. And, uh, somewhere in the next year we started going to church and I was so dumb about church. I thought they're, they're all alike in that little town. There's a strong Baptist church is where we went. And there was a, a Pentecostal church and there was a church of Christ and a Methodist church. And I thought you just choose a flavor, any flavor. I had no, I really no reference point. And so but we started going, it turned out to be, uh, a, 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 just the sovereignty of God of where I needed to be. The pastor there was, uh, been a pastor for 30 years and took me under his wing and I didn't know anything. I mean, I'd heard, I heard about David and Goliath and some of them, but I didn't know, I didn't know anything. And, uh, so I just, uh, I, I just kind of hit the fast track cause I knew my life before wasn't working. And for the first time in my life, it really felt like my life was really working. 
And uh, so, why? Uh, why why it just, did it feel like it? Just I, it, it's just giving my life to the Lord. There's no other. It's, it's not. It's not a. It wasn't. A, you know. I mean, it's a good. It's a good wise decision I made. But I. I don't even take the credit for that because I was in such a messed up place. It just. It just was the Lord. And looking back, I think it's just the sovereignty of God to, you know, let us run to the dead end in our life if that's what we're determined to do. But He's always there, and so He He happened to be there. Right? You know, at, at that at that point. And so. Uh, so, uh, and I'm making kind of a, kind of a long story. It seems like a, maybe maybe making a short story long, but so we started going to church. We were faithful at that, and uh, within the next year from that, uh, I felt like that uh, I probably that that I needed to kind of step up a little more. So I volunteered to teach the teenage Sunday school class. And here's fourteen, twelve or fourteen kids who had grown up in church, and they they knew stuff, you know. And here I was, I didn't know anything. Which <laughs> was that intimidating. Uh, it was it, yeah, it was intimidating, but it it really helped me because it, it uh, like I said, I, I I back up and tell a little part of the story. When when my life turned around, Julie had bought a brand new Bible, New King James, and when after kind of I made the turn, I started I just kind of took it away from her, and I think she she just let me go ahead and have it because she thought he, you know he might actually read it, you know. <laughs> so and I did. I mean, I still have it, and pages are worn worn out of it. So. Uh, so we just, uh, we kind of we started there and, uh, and I wore that Bible. Well, uh, another part of the story is, so we're out in the middle of nowhere. See, so I would have friends that my old friends, uh, rodeo friends, uh, beer drinking buddies and partying friends, uh, they'd come out, they'd come to my house and they started telling me their problems. And, uh, I can look back now and see, that's how the Lord was training me. And so they had, they had asked me about what they need to do with their lives and stuff, and I'd go home and I'd get that Bible and I'd look and look and look and look and look. And there wasn't any part of that where you're like, "Look, guys, I'm just I'm one of y'all. Why are you telling me this crap? You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. why are you telling me this? Did you ever feel like that? Well, I, I think what I teach people now is that anytime someone's telling you their problems, they're asking you for help, and for someone to tell you their problems. Uh, says that they trust you enough to think that you might actually, you might, maybe you can help them and you, you, you're willing to help them, you know? So, hmm. so my, my theology then, and it's really has remained all these years. And that is, uh, they, when they would pour their lives out in front of me, I just basically said, you know, uh, I don't know how, I don't know how God's going to fix your life, but if he can fix my life, I know he can fix your life. And I believe that you said addiction, you had addiction issues. What was what was going on? Um, I'd rather not get into all that. It's just a, a marijuana addiction. Hey, man, addiction is addiction, know, and and yeah. you're I, you're around plenty of people days, that, yeah. that wrestle yeah. with this stuff. Yeah. So yeah. hey, we're you're in safe yeah. company here. Yeah. You know, so re- real is real, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, kind of back to how that progressed. So it was kind of a funny story. So one day. Uh, I was training horses at the ranch and I just felt like God was dealing with me about, I didn't have the terminology, but all I knew was I'd heard people say they were called to preach. You know, I'd heard that term before, but Mm -hmm. so I went up to my pastor, Ronnie Chadwick, who's a, was a great mentor in the Lord died just last year. And, uh, anyway, he had a big, deep booming voice. And I went up and said, I always called him preacher. We had a great relationship. You know, I said, well, I said, preacher, uh, I think the Lord's calling me to preach. Big, deep voice. Andy, just forget it. 
It's the best advice I ever had. I said, "What?" Because what? I thought he's going to be proud of me, you know. And he said, "I said, what, what do you mean, forget it?" And he said, "Because if you can forget it, it ain't God." And that's the best advice I ever had. So I couldn't no forget it. Huh. So here we are, uh, thirty-two, you know, thirty-five years later. So I just had this conversation. I'm not kidding you. Two hours ago, you know, there's two trains of thought on uh, the person, guy or gal, who can be a really great mentor for uh it doesn't necessarily have to be younger people but just people that might need some guidance and that mentor can be one of two types of folks either the one that has the spit shine clean background or it can be the person that has all kinds of bumpy road that they've traveled and i don't know who's better but it seems to me that when you're talking to someone that's having a bunch of problems, that maybe that that person is going to relate to someone who's also had those kind of problems. Now, Agreed. I don't know if that's no, the case right. or not, but how do you feel about that? No, I think, I think it's, I think it's true. I think, and I think the Lord can equally use either one of those people mm-hmm. with, with those kind of people. And, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I, I remember uh, growing up, uh, kids would invite me to church and I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't like how they made me feel. They, they felt like it felt like they thought it was probably on me. I'm, I'm, but felt like they were a little better than me. And I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to act like that. So, uh, which it might not, that might not have been the case at all. Like I said, that was probably mostly on me. So just to be, just to be clear, I want to, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. You felt like they kind of had this air of like holier than thou, basically. Yeah, a little okay. bit. Yeah, okay. a little yeah. bit. And uh, you know, I knew I could, uh, I knew I could trust my rodeo friends, and they were there for you, and the, all that. All, although uh, the help that you got from them wasn't, it wasn't too spiritual most of the time, you know. But uh, friendship, <laughs> hey, but they cared about brotherhood. You. Yeah, that's the truth. So uh, that's uh, my phone's ringing. So. Uh, Spam risk. Do y'all know who that is? Uh, I, He's I, one of the risk I brothers. I tend to dodge her calls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time when I do answer, she, she sounds like English is her fifth language. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you maintain a really high profile in community. And I guess some people would say, well, you know, when you maintain that, that, that status level in a community is kind of a leader. You know, yeah. you're going to be a spiritual mm-hmm. leader. Yeah. You're probably held to a different standard. Would you? Would you agree? Totally agree. Yeah. Totally is agree. that fair? Well, I think it is fair. You know, even the Bible says that uh, let not many of you be teachers, knowing that you'll incur a stricter judgment. So, we need to hold up a, a kind of a standard of righteousness. And uh, of course, you know, uh, in the in the modern church, especially in the Bible Belt, uh, there's those kind of things. There, those things are even more strict. And the whole legalist legalism mindset, and the things you should do and should not do, and so I'm a grace person. I uh, I talk a lot about grace, and uh, you know uh, when when you start to understand grace, and I, and I tell people, I mean it's it's a controversial subject. I, it really shouldn't be, but it's a controversial subject um, because when you really start to talk grace. Uh, the religious people, those who are really bound up, I, I would say bound up in religion, and nobody has to agree with me f- for starters, but when you when you are bound up in legalism and when you see, uh, when, when someone really starts to get free 
in in the things that, in the things that they do. That's not crossing any scriptural lines. It's not sinning, but can be uh, perceived by the religious crowd mm-hmm. as sinning. Uh, that's that you know you get you get a lot of that you get a lot of that Doesn't in the, that in the just Bible. Piss belt. you off though. Well, it does because you're because, you're not only are you this guy that does yeah, this job, yeah. which you are that also. Yeah. It is a job you're doing. You are a normal yeah. man, right? And yeah, and it it to me it seems it seems like a lot of pressure. It it is a lot of pressure, and I I don't uh, I don't try to gravitate toward the normal stereotype of a pastor. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just not me. I think I'm the same person that I was even before, before my, you know, transformation in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and I still, uh, care about people and, uh, but I'm just, I'm just Andy Taylor with the spirit of God now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just, I just want to be me, be real and not have some kind of just important to me to not have, uh, any kind of fake persona or any kind of, you know, putting on any kind of airs. I'm just me, you know, what you see is That's kind of what you That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But you got to feel that pressure sometimes, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's tough. Yeah. How you, do you deal with it? Well, you know, uh, I just, I thought of a, a scripture verse there just, uh, that, uh, Paul said, Paul saw who, you know, we know as Paul. Now he had that conversion experience on the way to Damascus. He was a chief persecutor against the church he was going to Damascus and he was stricken with blindness, knocked off his donkey and led around his blind for a few days. And he began to see things different because he was having people drug out of their houses who were naming the name of Jesus and, and hoping that they'd be stoned and to stone to death and kill. Well, mm-hmm. So he had this experience with the Lord, uh, not totally uh, unlike an experience that we can have with the Lord. The details could be altogether different, but just like my experience too. And so he began to see things all together. He had a different kind of perspective. And uh, in his letters that he wrote, every letter that Paul wrote, he, he started and ended those letters with grace, something like grace and peace be multiplied to you. And in, at the end of every letter, he says grace, grace and peace usually. Well, when you start to look and pursue and see what the word grace means, you know, we've been called to liberty. And Paul talked about, and I, I think it's in maybe 1 Corinthians chapter 10, along in there somewhere, but he says something like, when you go and sit down with someone to eat, you put, you eat what's set before you, and you don't be offensive in what you eat. He said, but and he he alluded to or specifically talked about uh, laws that uh, are really not, um, really wouldn't be sins, but in in that case, eating and drinking and things like that. And he said, uh, why is my liberty? Why and this addresses that. Bible belt mentality. Why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? If you don't think it's right to smoke a cigar and enjoy that, then don't do it, but don't force that on me. If that's your conviction, and even if you think God's given you that conviction, don't force that on me as something that's uh, a, that's a, 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 a biblical offense or a sin. So that's what Paul's saying. He was using it about eating and drinking, and he said, don't, uh, uh, why, why is my liberty uh, judged by another man's conscience. So that, that happens all the time. You're right. So when we, when we're talking about, when, when you're talking about grace, as we get free in those kind of things, the, that religious mind that doesn't like that, you know, somebody made this statement. If you want to make people mad, preach the law. If you want to make them furious, preach grace. And really it's turned out that way. It's, it's a controversial thing and really shouldn't be, but we are called to Liberty. 
Don't you think that uh, religion is uh, another four-letter word? You know, yeah. religious. I, I hardly ever use the word religion and religious in a positive. Not that it's a negative I don't, word. I don't. Not think that you it's can. a negative word. I don't, I don't think you can. I don't use it in a. Usually, I don't use it in a positive way. Yeah. Oh, it's true because of that stuff yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't be you without yeah. someone who needs to bring you down or they need to yeah. bring them up by going, you know what, you do that, but you do this and that and the other thing yeah. and you're going to yeah. hell. Yeah. And you know, just what you're talking about right now, that's why there's over 40,000 denominations of Christianity because everybody reads that book. Well, which version of it are you reading? And then depending on that interpretation, now you have a church because of one person's that's, interpretation that's exactly of a book. Right. So instead of looking and picking apart what is different, we need to be looking at what we have in common and loving each other, but that's never more apparent than it is today how we are so divided because we, like Facebook, for example, that's very relative. You'll scroll through the news feed and you'll see people who are posting good things, nice things, but for some reason we only comment or react or engage to the stuff that either pisses us off Mm -hmm. or we're trying to piss that person off. Why do we do that as humans? With Like you're saying, grace. The people that go around damning people and saying, you're going to hell, this and that, you need to act this way, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't work. But like you said with your friend, he came to you because of the way you were living your life. Not because you were saying, hey, if you ever need help, come tell me what's going on. I'll help you. It's because he saw you in the way that you lived your life. You weren't going around preaching it everywhere. You were just living your life, being graceful. And he saw that, and he took that as an example. I wonder what his what's his recipe. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you do it. You don't go around, come to my church, or else you're going to hell. You're going to burn in a lake of fire forever. You know that you yeah. sound like a salesman. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't, or if you do come to church, you'll you'll when you die, you'll be able to get everything you've always wanted. Your personal little everything great. <laughs> but if you don't, you're going to experience fire forever. Yeah. Like you know that sounds like a salesman. Yeah. Act now. But wait, there's more, you know? But like you said, grace. You get the messages. That's how you do it. If you'll share this with 10 of your friends, then you'll be blessed and you're going to get $10,000 and all this hokey pokey crap. Yeah. So I'm sure that you have met plenty of people that, that maybe throughout the course of your career as a pastor have told you, I really hate church. I really hate church for a myriad of reasons. Was there one reason among them all that you seem to hear most often? Well, I think a lot of it is, is uh, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that I've heard more than anything else. It might not totally fit in what, what the question you asked, but I've heard this more than anything else. Early on, I don't hear it much anymore, but I don't have the right kind of clothes to wear. I've heard <laughs> that. I've heard that a lot. But uh, the, and there are a lot of people who don't like church, and I, I, what I say is every person who doesn't like church has a legitimate reason for not liking it. And I think it's just how we make people feel sometimes. If we feel, mm-hmm. if we give them that holier than thou attitude, if we don't honor them, you know, it's one thing to, I mean, you know, you can start the whole conversation of who do you accept and who do you not accept, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as the bikers, the tattoos, and all those kind of things, they're the same, same kind of heart, same kind of people we are. And, uh, but the, you know, there are people who'd rather, there are churches, I don't know if they'd ever admit it, admit it or not, but they'd rather those people didn't come to their church. Well, they can feel that. Then there's the idea that, okay, well, maybe uh, if they come, that's okay. We can accept that. But there's a difference between accepting someone and valuing someone. And one of the things that we've tried to do is to value every person. 
Every person is important to God. And it, there's a difference between just accepting someone and valuing them. It's a whole other dimension. Well, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Here, here's a tough question. <clears throat> is is church a business? Well, uh, in, in fact, there's a, in, there's a chapter or two in that book. One of the first chapters in the book is what is the church? Well, and one of the, the paragraphs is the church is not a business. It's not a business, but you have to be business minded and, and do business principles or you'll be out of business. You know, you have to be wise with money that comes in. You have to, you know, you have to pay bills. You have to do those kind of things in that, re- in that respect, you have to be able to do that kind of business, but it's not a business as you would think as to make money or to build, you know, uh, well, uh, even if the heart is there in the first place to, you know, you're just a, a group of people and you're talking and then one ends up being the figurehead and then you're sharing and then more mm-hmm. people come and all of a sudden, you know, like, okay, now we got to, we got to think about mm-hmm. getting into a bigger place. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you say that it kind of develops into, okay, we've got to, we're going to do this thing, but it also, it does develop into a business it for does. all those, for all those reasons. Yeah. You're, you're, you know? you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, as long as as long as the business part of it doesn't take precedence over the people, <laughs> it's always now about that. It's always about that. Joel Osteen, <coughs> <laughs> Life Church. Yeah. That's the challenge. That that's the challenge. So, what do you say to the guy or the gal that says, "Frankly, I think churches are are a bunch of different clubs. Join our club." Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, Joyce Meyer. <coughs> <coughs> we do this better than those guys or yeah. we we do this and those guys don't therefore come to our church yeah and don't forget to tithe yeah how, yeah. how do you how do you how do you uh what am i trying to ask you how do you talk to those people to try to defray a little bit of that aversion to it yeah let, let me tell let me tell a story or two that i think will helps with that is um and just to be clear yeah i'm that guy yeah yeah so when we started, we started with just six or eight people in Sayre in 1989. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that the Lord, uh, a couple of things the Lord had us to pray uh, right off. And when I say, this is what I heard from the Lord, uh, God has all kinds of ways to speak to us through other people, through the word, through signs and wonders, through visions and dreams, through elements and all that. But my favorite is the still small voice, the things you believe you hear in, you know, the, the Bible refers to it as the still small voice. So some of those things that I felt like I heard early on from the Lord is one is we were to pray that God would bring us the people that nobody else wanted. And we, after uh, 32 years, we're still praying that. And uh, another thing is we uh, consistently and have consistently done this for 32 years is pray for all the other churches in our area. And uh, most of the time, uh, pray for when we know the pastors, pray for them by name. When we pray for the harvest to come in, we pray that, that God would bring the harvest in from the north, south, east, and west. And the ones that he's ordained to be in the Baptist church would gravitate there. The ones that are supposed to be in the assembly of God would gravitate there. But the ones he's ordained to be in our church, we want, we want them. We, we pray them in there. And so, uh, we, so what, that, what that has done in us, it's, it's destroyed in us a, any kind of sense of competition with any other church. So when... Uh, the Baptist church gets 10 people saved on Sunday and we don't get anybody saved. We win. 
we we feel like we're we win because we're all on the same team. You know, this whole mm -hmm. sectarianism, this whole division, and this whole all this. Now, I don't I don't know that everybody thinks like I think about that, but I, I think that's that's a kingdom way to think. So we uh, we went to uh, uh, Canadian Texas, which is just not far from where I grew up, thirty miles from where I grew up. And uh, the, the last year we were on the ranch, I took care of a bunch of cattle up north of Canadian. When I was uh, in, and I had just my life had just turned. I had no idea I would ever be in ministry or anything. Mm. But there's one pastor that looked up, looked uh, <clears throat> looked over the city of Canadian, and when I'd, I'd be in that pasture, I'd get up in the back of my pickup. And I felt like the Lord was directing me, and I'd stretch my hands out, and I'd pray over Canadian. And we did that for 13 years. I mean, we, we, we moved that year uh, off the ranch and moved to Oklahoma. But we kept praying about Canadian. And, uh, and 13 years later, we planted a church there. But we felt like the first thing we should do when we, went to Cana when we knew we were going to plant a church there is to go to the uh, ministerial alliance, to the spiritual leaders of the city, and say, these are our intentions. And... Uh, we're going to plant a church, and we got a a, a real uh, un unwelcome. Uh, it was real, it was a real unwelcoming thing that happened. They were real uh, rude to us, and one guy said, uh, "Well, what do you what do you why do you want to plant a church in Canadian? We we got enough churches. We felt like we'd heard the Lord, and that's why I said, I said we feel like that's what the Lord's told us to do." And one of the guys just kind of scoffed, and he said. Well, that, that doesn't impress me one bit. He said, you see the kid on the news who said that the Lord God told him to kill his family. And I'm thinking, that's a perfect analogy, isn't it, of what we're – but anyway, but one of the guys there uh, was real quiet One from one of the churches in town. He was real quiet, didn't say anything. So he, he calls the same denominational pastor in Sayre, and he said, what about these guys? He said, uh, they're coming into Canadian – well, let me, let me back up. I was born in Canadian, Texas, and I lived there most of my life. Our, our guy that's the pastor there and was going to be the pastor there was born there and has lived there all his life. The longest that any of those guys in that room had been there was about three or four years. And so uh, that pastor called the, the, hit, the same denominational pastor in Sayre and said, what about these guys? They're going to say they're going to plant a church in Canadian. And, and uh, he said, what do, we, what do we need to do about that? He's, and the guy in Sayre, it t tears me up every time I tell the story. It uh, just touches my heart because of how we've prayed for the other churches. And this, the pastor in Sayre, I knew him, but we didn't hang out a lot. I just kind of knew him and we were acquaintances. That was about it. But he said, uh, you need to invite them. You need to welcome them into your town. He said, well, really? What do you mean? What do you, why should we do that? And he said, because if you'll welcome them into your town, every other church in town will be better because they're here. So that, I think that's what happens when you pray for the other, other churches. So it destroys that competitive thing that shouldn't be there amongst us as brothers, whether you go to the assembly of God or the Methodist or my church or where it just shouldn't be there. And, uh, the temptation is always there for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, w sometimes we have to deal, to deal with that. I personally, you have to deal with that some, you know, yeah. I really, I really believe in what we do. I think we're the best fit for people, but it's not, that's not necessarily the, the, the truth for for everyone it's it's just it's not for everyone there but there is a place for someone I got two questions for you number one can you be a a great person without ever going to church can you be good to the other people around you I mean can you be that without church yeah yeah I mean some of the some I, I, th I think of one of the guys was my dad's age my one of my dad's best friends out there to Allison Texas uh 
rancher, hard worker, best guy in the world. I don't think I ever saw him in church. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you can do that. I think, but you take a guy like that. I just think that a relationship with the Lord can even make a good guy a lot better. Tell me about your first, your first real sermon. Wow, where, where was it at? Okay, I, I, surely I you, you that, surely yeah. you remember this. And what was that like getting ready for your very first one, where you're like, okay, yeah, here we are. Very, the very first thing I did was just a testimony, actually, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting because out there in you know in a 30, 40 mile area there, people knew who we were. I mean, uh, you know, it's small town. Everybody knows everybody in small town. But uh, so my life had kind of made the turn and that, that, that had people's attention. And, uh, you know, people were interested to see if that was really real because how our lives had been before and stuff. And so, uh, uh, and that was kind of after the time I'd started kind of helping with the teenage Sunday school class. I was growing in the Lord and I really, I mean, I was, when I started, I was all in. And so I, I, I uh, consumed the word, uh, uh, put it to use as best I could and, and, and just learned. So, uh, one of my friends, uh, by the name of Buster Reedy, who was a, who was a cowboy and he was going to do, this is before the term cowboy church was ever, you, you never heard it before, but he was going to do a church service during the St. Patrick's day celebration at the sale barn in Shamrock. And he was uh, he was a musician. They played and sang him and his wife played and sang done a real good job. And so my first opportunity, he invited me to come to that and give my testimony. I just basically told my story kind of like I told uh, my story to you a little, you guys a little bit ago. I just basically told my story and, uh, that, uh, that kind of led to more. We did several of those things around the country and people's barns and stuff. And then that was just kind of how the Lord had kind of eased me in, into the ministry. So, the very first message that I preached, I don't think I can really even tell you what it was, Chad. I, it's been that surprises me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's I might could. It's important somehow, to you yeah. know. That, I mean, that yeah. would be a that would be yeah. a thing you would remember. That of course, I'm thinking to myself, what was the first, the very first that's, that's, that's gig a good I question. ever played? That's because a good question. I can remember being nervous. the The stage fright was indescribable. The very first time I actually perform like this is a gig gig i'm getting paid big money here thirty dollars for the whole band five of us split thirty dollars cheap pizza piece. that's good that's i know man. That's, that's good money <laughs> ran right to 7-eleven and yeah. spent it well yeah exactly <laughs> what uh what is the most important thing that you want people to know about you as the man you're you're andy taylor what is the most important thing that you want people to know about you yeah that's a good question. I, I just think, uh, you know, in the final analysis, I'd like to be just seen someone as someone who's just real and just, uh, really who, who God created, be who God created me to be. You are one of the bravest, most steadfast, most real. You're gentle. You're graceful. Thank you. Did I say brave? I don't think I can say brave enough. You've said some things that really puts your neck across the chopping block. You are damn brave. And I just, I am so thankful 
that I get to know you on a personal level. Thank you. You are a hell of a good man, and I'll bet you make that wife of yours proud. What have you been married? Like 40s? Let's see. It'd be 44 years in January, yeah. And you have how many kids? Five? I have five kids. One little boy beat us to heaven, so we would have had six. We've oh, raised five. I'm sorry. So you got a lot of grandchildren? Yeah, 10 grandkids, yeah. Wow, wow. So I've been looking all these years for something I'm good at. I think that pawpaw deal might be it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. I think you're good at a lot of things, and I think that, uh, you know, regardless of whether, you know, you're on the stage over there at Trinity or you're hanging out with a couple of schmucks in an office talking, talking shop about stuff, <clears throat> in the face of a couple of dudes that, I've had a bad taste in my mouth about church for yeah. years and years, but yet I am comfortable around you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate um, that. I can't say enough good stuff about you, and I am so thankful that uh, you gave me these books. I'm going to try my hand at a little reading over the next few months. Sounds good. Sounds <clears throat> good. I hope you'll come back in here again. Love to. Thanks for the invite. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye then. The Jack Wagon Podcast is a Courtesy Clap production.